1: Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. This is your new host, Emma Venner, and I'm so excited to share my first recording with you. You are listening to episode 43 with Eileen Moskowitz-Palma. Eileen radiates so much joy, kindness, and positivity, and I was so excited to interview her and hear more of her life story. You'll hear that it's a very consistent part of her life, that when one door closes and leaves her disappointed, She doesn't stay upset for long. Instead, she turns it into a positive, opens a new door for herself, and leads her down an exciting new path. And I loved hearing this. Eileen is the author of middle grade novels, including her most recently released book, the first of a two-part series, Camp Click, which came out in April. And you'll be so excited to hear at the end of this interview that School Squad will be released in October of 2020. These books dive into the lives of middle schoolers as well as kindness, identity, and so much more. They're perfect for your middle schooler or even yourself. When I got off the phone with Eileen, I actually bought a copy for myself and it came in the mail the other day and I was so excited. Eileen is also the survivor of a life-threatening condition that she survived while pregnant with her daughter and she has faced autoimmune disorders ever since. This will be another part of her story that you hear where she turns a negative into a positive. I just love hearing everything that Eileen has to say about this. Eileen is most recently the creator of these really fun virtual writing workshops that she created to help parents that are homeschooling unexpectedly during this time. I think that after hearing this conversation, you will hear why so many parents and children are loving these camps. I think we all need a teacher like Eileen in our lives. I hope that you will enjoy this episode and pull some of the positive outlooks on life and the joy that she radiates in her own life. All right, today on the Illuminate podcast, we have Eileen Moskowitz-Palma. Welcome to the podcast, Eileen. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I'm a huge fan and
0: listener of your podcast, so I feel really honored to be here as a guest today.
1: Yeah, thanks for coming on. Eileen and I got connected through Lindsay Hine, who shared Eileen's story with me of how she took a lot of the cancellations. Eileen, had you had a canceled book tour and canceled classroom visits for your book as well during the shutdowns. And mm-hmm. she just kind of shared how you turned that into a really great opportunity. Do you want to get started with sharing about the workshops that you created during the shutdowns? Yeah that would be great thank you okay so
0: i'm a former elementary school teacher and i published a middle grade novel it's called camp click it's the first book in a series called the popularity Pact series and the part of publishing the book that i was most excited about was school visits because it was a great opportunity for me to get back in the classroom and connect with kids on this personal level through writing Um, And I realized, my book came out April 14th, and I realized, um, you know, by the first week in March that none of the in-person events were going to happen, including classroom visits. And I was devastated. I think what made it even worse is that I, I squeezed in one classroom visit the week before the school shut down here in New York, and I visited a creative writing group, and it was so wonderful to talk to the kids about what being a writer is all about, but also to connect with them and help them write and workshop together. So I couldn't stop thinking about that and how sad it was that I wasn't gonna be able to do that. And my husband said to me, you know, I think you're kind of missing something here. You're not just a writer, you're a teacher. Cause I teach writing to adults currently. And he's like, I really think that you could be a help to these families. And I kept thinking about it. And while I was disappointed about my canceled book tour, my whole entire social media feed was filled with parents who were suddenly working from home. The school shut down abruptly. I think it was March 17th here in New York. And so they were suddenly homeschooling their kids and working from home at the same time. So in one weekend, I set up this writing camp for kids. Um, It's five sessions. I didn't charge for it. I just asked that the parents order a copy of the book for their kids. Um, And we had four hour-long meetings where we worked on writing short stories about friendship. And then the fifth meeting, we have a book club meeting where the kids ask me questions about the book itself and about being a writer. Um, And I put out a flyer on Facebook and I thought maybe, you know, maybe 10 kids might sign up. Oh my goodness, Emma, in the first couple of weeks, I worked with over a hundred kids
1: from all
0: over the country. How cool is that?
1: That's incredible. And I have
0: to say it saved me because those early weeks, particularly here in New York, I live outside of Manhattan. My husband's an essential worker. He's a veterinarian at a nonprofit animal hospital in the city. Um, and so he was still commuting to work and really nervous about bringing COVID-19 home. So we were socially distancing in our household and just things were very scary here. Um, and it's really hard to be overwhelmed and anxious when you have a Zoom screen filled with kids who are eager to write with you and talk about writing. Um, and so it was a really positive experience for me, too, because it helped me serve other people during that time instead of focusing on the things in my own life that I was anxious about. Um, and so I continue to do it this whole time. Um, and now the Providence Children's Museum is partnering with me for the summer, and I have six public libraries who are also offering it same thing for free the public libraries are paying for the books for the kids um, and the Providence Children's Museum is just asking that parents cover the cost of the book so um, yeah so it's been real such a positive experience
1: yeah what an incredible opportunity to get to work with the libraries and the Children's Museum as well was that something you envisioned and you reached out to them or did they kind of hear about your program and come to you Oh, it was a little bit of both. Um, The Providence Children's Museum,
0: I got connected to um, through this wonderful woman, uh, Robin. She has this great um, Facebook page called Reading with Robin. And she, she devoted her time, just like I devoted my time in the beginning of quarantine to serving kids, this woman, Robin, devoted her time to serving authors by interviewing them and spreading the word about people whose authors' tours got canceled. and Robin, through my publicist, connected me with the Providence Children's Museum, um, and they loved the idea for the writing camp, Um, and we are offering it to kids in grades three through five in one group, and then another group for kids in grades six through eight. Um, And the libraries, I came up with that idea on my own. I really just want to keep serving kids during this time. I think it's so important to keep kids focused on positive things like reading and creative writing. So I reached out to some of the public libraries to tell them about my program, and they were really enthusiastic about it. Um, And that's how the partnership
1: started. So are these workshops kind of they're coming every day or is it one day a week throughout a cycle of weeks or how does it look for the kids being involved
0: Oh, great question. I originally was doing it a couple of times a week, but um now that things have been slowly reopening and kids are able to do more things, whether it's on Zoom or in person, more activities, I'm doing it once a week. So it's a 5-week program. Each writing session is for 1 hour. Um, I'm starting them the second week in July and running into the first week in August. And um, my focus with the kids is not just on writing, but connecting with other kids, making friends with other kids who like to write from other states. Um, And I'm incorporating a pen pal component to the kids who take um, the, the camp through the museum. So the kids are gonna actually write letters to each other and get to know friends from all over the place, which is great. Um, We're working on not just writing the stories, but giving positive feedback to each other. That was the part that the kids really enjoyed. We do something called a compliment sandwich, which I cannot take credit for. It's something that I learned about from my daughter when she was in elementary school. And the idea is that you give a positive critique, a positive piece of feedback, then you follow it with what would be like the meat of the sandwich, which would be some kind of a critique, and then you follow it with a positive comment. Because these kids don't really know each other, I didn't think it was appropriate for them to give anything that could be perceived as negative criticism. So Instead we do um, a compliment and then a question, maybe something you want to hear more about, a part that you really liked, something you weren't quite clear on that you wanted, elaborated a little bit more, and then followed with another question. And this is really successful because it helps, you know, a fourth grade student from California connect with a third grade student from Illinois, for example. Um, and so anyway, that's a big piece of it. It's not just the writing, it's connecting in a personal and a positive way with each other.
1: Oh my goodness. I would have totally loved this growing up and probably still would. I've always loved creative writing and they always had this dream to be writing a book or something at one point. Um, and I love that. Oh, I love the don't pen pals. On that
0: dream. Maybe yeah, you, it's, you...
1: it's still in there.
0: <laughs> okay, well, I just have to say separate from this, I teach at a place called um, the Writing Institute. So oh, really? Sarah Lawrence College has this continuing education program called the Writing Institute. And we are offering for the summer, all the classes are online. And during the the fall, it's a hybrid. Some classes are online and some are in person. And it's for anybody who wants to do any kind of writing. It could be um, someone who wants to take the poetry class. Other people take memoir classes. I teach two different novel writing classes.
1: So anyway, Emma,
0: at some point, you might wanna check it out and take an online class.
1: Yeah, we're gonna have to talk more about that at the end of this to Get connected oh, with sure. that because I'd love to do that. And oh,
0: I highly recommend it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I love the the pen pal aspect too. How fun is that? Every I feel like every kid loves uh, having connection with someone else and having a pen pal. I know I did growing up. I am still in contact with one of mine actually. I, I got connected through um, – there was like a pen pal program through a magazine and I did that. So that's fun. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you
0: stayed in touch all this time? Yeah, we
1: did. We, it was through a horse magazine. So we both rode horses Mm -hmm. and connected through, and then when we got older, we connected through Facebook and we're still connected. (gasps) I can't wait to tell the kids that. Yeah. Isn't that that cool? That's so fun.
0: Yeah. Yes. I am definitely going to share your story with them because I hope that they continue after the program is over, that they continue writing to each other because this generation, they, they don't really have a lot of experience with getting a a letter in the mail that they
1: can hold and yeah see someone's
0: handwriting and all of that so i think it'll be really cool for them
1: so is the pen pal program you're doing through letters or is it through email or online somehow i think letters
0: would be fun um but I'm, i'm pretty much open if the kids prefer emailing we could do emailing instead um i did not do it with my initial batch of writing camp kids this is newer um, and I'm very much one of those people that if I suggest letters and none of the kids look happy about that, I'm perfectly happy to say, Hey, why don't we do email instead if that'll get you writing more and corresponding more. So I haven't quite worked it out cause I want to see what the kids think will work best.
1: Oh, what a great idea. What kind of things are the kids writing about? Like what are the prompts? That's a great
0: question. Um, We did two different things. Um, The main focus of the four writing sessions is to get the kids writing short stories that are fiction about friendship. Um, One of the reasons I I focused on fiction writing is that in school, uh, most schools, there's more of a focus on nonfiction writing and essay writing. Um, And when I was growing up, there was more of a focus on fiction writing. And I discovered my love of writing and my ability to write back in sixth grade during a writing workshop when I was writing short stories. And so I wanted to give that experience to kids who might not get it quite as frequently um, in their curriculum. So um, I use my own book as an example and I do it step by step. So the first class um, we just talk about in the beginning about how you're going to have two friends. Who are going to have some kind of conflict or drama? Because it's more interesting to read a book or watch a movie about some, you know, about somebody who's in the middle of a conflict or a drama. So I ask them to think about two friends and what kind of drama they might have. Um, before we do that, too, I have the kids introduce themselves, talk about their favorite books, and kind of get to know each other. Um, and so first they come up with their two best friend characters um, and then they pick the characters names and then they share those names with everyone and it kind of gets the kids more comfortable with each other and chatting with each other. Um, and then I talk about how important the physical descriptions are of your characters. And I told them, which they, they were really ex- excited to learn about how um, the writer is the one who who Writes the words that describe who the characters are. But if you have an illustration on your book cover that shows what the characters look like, there's a separate artist in most cases who's hired to do that, unless you're a graphic novelist and you're doing all this, the drawing. But um and so what I did was I read the kids the descriptions of the girls straight from the book, and then I showed them while I was talking, the cover, and I told them that the artist drew these girls based on my words. And it was equivalent to having a dream in your mind. And you know how, have you ever tried to describe a dream to somebody and they don't quite get it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's so hard to do that. And I told them that um, it was amazing because I used just the right words that this artist was able to almost take a dream from my mind and put it on a book cover. Um, And so that got them really energized to work on their own physical descriptions of their characters. So then they wrote their physical descriptions and then they shared. And that's when we started doing the compliment sandwiches. The reason I I built in the compliment sandwiches, number one, I felt like particularly during the beginning of the quarantine, these kids needed positive feedback. They needed immediate positive feedback. So I thought that that was important. The other piece was, I was really worried about how I was going to engage kids who didn't know each other, to care about each other's work and not zone out. I was really worried about kids kind of zoning out when someone else shared. Um, And so by telling them, after each person shares we're going to give them a compliment sandwich it made them all active listeners so when one person is sharing their physical description everyone else was ready and thinking about what they really liked about it and why Um, and then they shared their compliment sandwiches and it set up this community of we're not just here for our own writing we're here to help other people as well and it really helped Um, and then the next session we talked about character traits so now we know who your characters are we know what they look like now what are their personality traits and how do those personality traits contribute to the conflict they're going to have as friends so then they worked on that then the next piece is the writing of the actual story and so we just kind of brainstormed what are the kinds of conflicts that come up with friends and across the board there were a couple that came up quite frequently One conflict that would come up is two kids are best friends, and then a new friend becomes friends with one of them and gets in the middle, and there's jealousy and tension there. Um, Another conflict they came up with was one kid um, makes it on the travel soccer team or basketball team or whatever, and their friend doesn't make the team. Um, one friend moves away. So they had all different ideas and um, and they wrote their stories. Um, and then in different chunks, the kids would share their stories and we would workshop them. Some kids, some groups took all four sessions to do that. Other kids worked faster or wrote less and finished earlier. And for those kids, I thought it was really important that they wrote about what they were experiencing while they were sheltering in place during COVID-19. But the trick was I didn't want to do it in a way that was depressing or scary or sad, but I wanted to open it up so that if kids wanted to write about that, that was okay too. Um, So what I did was I gave them a prompt that you are a furry little mouse who has always lived in your home, but you're so tiny that nobody else in your family has seen you before. So I want you to pretend to be that mouse. And usually you're used to the, at least maybe one parent or both parents being out of the house working during the day or out doing errands and the kids being at school. And now all of a sudden everybody's home. What is that like? And so using that prompt, there were some kids who wrote about all the things they loved. Like one girl, um, her mother commuted an hour and a half each way for work every day. And so even though her mom was still working full time from home, they had all of these extra hours to spend together as a family. Um, There was somebody else who wrote about um, board games, which we never used to do as a family and we're doing now too. And so she talked about that. And then there were other people who wrote about the things that they missed. They missed seeing their friends. They never thought that they would miss school so much, but they do. And so it opened up a dialogue, and I encouraged the kids to keep adding to that and writing about their experience. And I got quite a few emails from mothers weeks after who told me their kids were still writing either their short story or they were were continuing to write about their experience and how in writing about these things, there were all these raw feelings that they didn't realize their kid was experiencing until they got it down on paper and shared it with their parents. So um, so all of that feedback is just helping me know what's important as I continue on and do this work through the libraries and through the museum. It really helped me um, understand what's important to the kids and what to continue doing. And so those, those are the things I'm gonna continue um, encouraging them to work on.
1: Yeah, wow, what an incredible exercise to do. Not only gets them writing, but also gets them an emotional release during this confusing and, for kids, scary mm-hmm. time. And it's mm-hmm. such a great exercise and great feedback, too, to hear how you're changing family lives by increasing the amount of writing that children are doing. And you've done one of these workshops or several of them?
0: Oh, I started... Um maybe it was like the third week in March and I have been doing them continuously since then. Okay. So I, yeah, so I was doing, oh my goodness. The first, like the, the first one that I ran, I was doing five back-to-back sessions on some days because I would, oh, wow. I was trying to keep my group small to yeah. about no more than 10 kids. So I would have, for example, um, I had a group of fifth grade girls where one mom emailed all of her daughter's friends' moms and they put a group of kids who all knew each other. So I'd have that group. And then I had this group of 12 second and third grade boys. Um, And from my years of teaching, I know not to generalize, but sometimes boys have um, like a large group of boys together might have a little more physical energy in terms of maybe not wanting to sit for an hour. So for that group, I built in drain breaks where every 10 minutes or so, one of the kids would suggest some kind of physical activity and we would just stop what we were doing, get up and do 10 sit-ups together or 10 push-ups or lunges. Um, And I would do it with the boys, um, which my husband found hilarious one day when he was off from work and (laughs) came in the kitchen. (laughs) zoom call with all these little boys and i'm doing my my push-ups with them so anyway um and then i had a group of all these wonderful kids middle school kids who were the very first group of people in the country to be under quarantine so it's a group of kids who go to the sar academy in riverdale new york um and that was one of the um i guess hot spots I guess you would call it, um, for the um, earlier cases in New York. And so those kids were quarantined for two weeks longer than anybody else. Um, And so they were fascinating to talk to because I felt like they had a maturity and insight to the experience because they were two weeks ahead of where I was at. And so I loved hearing them write about um, their, their experience quarantining because they were ahead of everyone else. And I felt like they had already learned a lot of lessons that we all had yet to learn. So anyway, I have been doing these sessions since March. Uh, I lost count of how many, but like I said, I've worked with over a hundred kids, probably closer to 150 now. I've lost track, but I have just been offering these sessions um, as they've been needed. I took a little break now um, before I start the library sessions, but I have been doing this continuously with groups. Um, Sometimes all like fifth graders, sometimes it's third, fourth and fifth. I'm just sort of filling the
1: groups as the interest comes and as they're needed. Is this something you'll think you'll continue once schools are back in session and things like that, maybe in the summers or even in the evenings during the school year?
0: I love that you asked that because, My second book is called School Squad. It's the sequel to Camp Click, and it's coming out in October. I have accepted that there is a very strong chance, I don't want to jinx this, but there is a chance that we might be in the second wave of COVID-19 in the fall. And even if we're not, a lot of author festivals and events have already moved to being virtual for the fall. So I started thinking, and I decided that I'm going to offer this to schools as an after school program. During oh, what the a great year. idea. How fun will that yeah, be? Yeah, that's it goes, awesome. Yeah, and it goes with the theme of the second book, which is School Squad. I can still, I, you know, I learned the biggest thing I learned from this is by going virtual, I can help so many more kids. So um, even when there are things in person, I could offer this as an afterschool virtual um, program to kids in California without traveling there. So this is a big lesson to me um, that, you know, I've always had this, this mentality of you can do anything that you set your mind to, but you have to always accept that your dream or your goal might look different than you thought it was gonna be. And this is a perfect example of my book tour, not looking anything like I thought it would. But in the end, um, this program that I created, I've actually connected on a personal level to more kids than I ever would have if I did a traditional book tour. So I'm going to keep going with that because it seems to be working.
1: I just love the spin you've had on the cancellations and turning them into all this positive and something that you'll be able to take on for years to come when help so many more kids than you probably could have if you were doing book tours and things like that. So Mm -hmm. what a great opportunity you've created for yourself. Thank you.
0: I was just gonna say, um, I had mentioned in my direct message to Lindsay that I'm a health syndrome survivor um, and that is a rare autoimmune related pregnancy disease with a very high morbidity rate of 30% and I got pregnant at 25. My husband and I are college sweethearts. I'm one of those people that I thought I had it all planned out. So my husband is a veterinarian, as I said, and he went on to do an internship and a residency. So we knew he'd be in school for a really long time and we wanted a big family with three or four kids. And so I was like, why not start now while you're in because it's going to take us a while to have all these kids. And I thought I had it all figured out. I was going to be teaching full time and be a working mom. And then I developed health syndrome and I almost died in the hospital. Um, And I'm not being dramatic. It was a very, very scary situation. Um, So bad that my husband turned to me while I was still in the hospital and said, we can't have any more kids we just, it's, I can't do this again. Um And so if that wasn't scary enough, so here I am 25 and I have to give up this dream of having my big family because I was too sick to adopt, too sick to have another baby. Um And then I went on to have autoimmune issues that I still have 18 years later. My my daughter is a high school senior and I still struggle with chronic illness. And in living with chronic illness, you have to make a choice every day if you're going to identify as a chronically ill person and give in to the illness, or if you are going to make hard choices and do hard things and rise above it and fight to have a life. And that is what I've been doing for 18 years is fighting against this illness to carve a life for myself. So I had to give up teaching in the classroom full time because my immune system wasn't strong enough to fight off all the illnesses that kids get. So I had taken off three years from teaching to get healthy enough to return to teaching. And then I lasted another three years before a doctor said, your immune system is not strong enough for this. And I was devastated. I was like, okay, health syndrome cost me my large family. It cost me my teaching career. Yeah. I'm going to be sick forever. How do I live like this? It was devastating. And like I said, I couldn't even adopt because I knew I wasn't well enough to care for another baby. So it was me giving up one thing after another, after another. And instead of giving into that, I fought back. And here I am teaching at the Writing Institute. And it's different because I teach part-time, so I'm not there every day. So, you know, there's less days where I'm not feeling well that I have to show up and have makeup on and look great. But also I'm teaching adults who tend to stay home when they're sick or they don't come and hug you and hold your hand and all of that when they're sick. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> it's been better for my immune system and I became a novelist. So I just wanna encourage any of your listeners who struggle with chronic autoimmune illness or other, other issues of any kind, um, it can happen. There are days where it is very hard for me, and there are days where my students wouldn't recognize me when I'm curled up in bed looking really sick, but I, I have fought so hard for this life that I have, and it has served me well because when my book tour got canceled, I, of course, cried about it, but then I also dug into that place that has been trained over the years to fight back against these moments of hardship. Um, and here I am with this program so I just want to give hope for anyone who's in that place that I have been in many times where you feel hopeless you wonder why me why is my life this way why are things so hard you can feel all those things it's okay to grieve it's okay to cry and have those moments where you accept how hard things are but if you can try to train yourself to fight back in whatever way that means for you and whatever that looks like for you, because it really does help. So that's just my advice on that.
1: Wow. That is powerful. It's something that's really important right now. It seems like everyone is going through losing something in their life or not Mm -hmm. being able to do something that they envisioned Mm -hmm. that they'd be doing this year. And it seems like it's a common theme in your life and in your experiences <laughs> that, you, that you take the negatives and the frustrations and turn them into helping others and making a good life for yourself as well. So that's a really good message to share. Thank you for sharing all of that.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: And then I just wanted to dive into your books too. I know you have, as you talked about, you had the book coming out in that just came out in April, and then you had the book that's coming out in October as well. So I want to dive into those two, if you just want to share first kind of what they're about and just the basis of those books and what inspired you to write for the middle grade level and write about the friendships and kindness of middle schoolers that you do write about.
0: Thank you. Okay, well... um... As I said, I had to give up my career teaching children. I always thought I was meant to teach children. I always knew I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be a teacher. And When I gave up the part of me that was a teacher for kids, I think that part of me that feels connected to kids and wants to teach them and talk to them um, made me gravitate towards writing for kids. And in terms of writing about friendship, um, one of the things that I've noticed as a mom to my daughter, but also as a friend who has mom friends, um, I always kind of crowdsource because when you only have one kid, you only know their life experience, right? So all of my friends who have you know three kids or more or less um anyone who has more than one kid i love to hear about their kids experiences because um you know there's such a variety of things but one experience that i have noticed with my own daughter and with many of my mom friends um is this phenomenon of a kid who fits in really well to one place in their life but they struggle to fit in to another so you might have a kid who um, is on student council at school and they have a ton of friends, but they're in an after-school drama program and they don't know how to make new friends. Or a kid who's captain of the travel soccer team and well-liked by their teammates, but they don't have anyone to sit with in the lunchroom. Um, this is such a common thing. And when kids experience this, um, it can be crushing to who they are as a person, can crush their ego and their confidence and make them question where their place is in the world. And that's what I wanted to write about. Um, so in this story, um, we sort of have a, a role reversal or a reversal of fortunes um, in each book. So in the, in the, the first book, um, Maisie and B, the two protagonists, End up at sleepaway camp together. Maisie and B were best friends their whole lives, like we're talking best friends since they were in preschool together. And then all of a sudden, sixth grade comes and Maisie drops B for seemingly no reason. And Maisie goes on to make friends with the popular group of girls called the M and M's. And when she leaves B behind, B is so crushed and heartbroken. And she's only had this one best friend her whole life. She doesn't know how to make her place in the school world. She doesn't know how to find a new friend group. So she has spent all of sixth grade devastated, miserable, lonely, feeling invisible because of Maisie. And she can't wait to go to sleepaway camp because guess what? At sleepaway camp, she has four best friends waiting for her. And she fits in really well there. And then Maisie ends up there and disrupts that. So B, all B can think about is how angry she is at Maisie. And Maisie, who is popular at school, ends up at camp and nobody likes her at camp because she ends up at an adventure camp. And Maisie is one of those kids who is anxious about everything. She's not sporty. She doesn't like to try new things. She's never been to sleep away camp before. And she gets stuck stuck in B's athletic, sporty bunk. And they're very competitive and they all want to try and win this tournament at the end of the summer. And Maisie's gonna keep them from doing that. So Maisie is so desperate to fit in at camp, she makes a pact with B and says, if you make me popular at camp, I'll make you popular when we go back to school. And that's what the series is. The first book is about what happens when B tries to help Maisie fit in at camp. And the second book is about what happens when they go back to school and it's Maisie's turn to hold up the end of the deal obviously the message in the book series is that authentic friendship is more important than being popular or fitting in um but it's a lesson that Maisie learns in the first book and it takes B the whole second book to learn so that's the main um, thing and like I said I really wanted to write about friendship um, and what happens when you lose a friendship What are the reasons why? What are the complications and layers to it? And I found that in my writing camp, the kids loved to talk about that because I think this is a common experience
1: that so many kids have at some point in their life. Well, and especially in middle school and elementary school, I feel like that's a really big turning point and when friendships kind of break apart and there's a lot of drama going on. So I think every middle Mm -hmm. schooler needs to read this and feel less alone. Yeah, because I think what happens in middle school
0: is kids are at this developmental stage where they're pulling away from their parents and identifying more as an individual person. And they're not dating yet like they do in high school. So those people who are their friends become more important to them than I think at any other point in their schooling age. Um, and that's when, and they're also growing and changing as people. And it's natural that sometimes friendships break apart as people grow and change. And so I really wanted to bring comfort to both sides of it. I write in both perspectives in both of the books. Um, So each chapter is half in B's point of view and half in Maisie's point of view, because I wanted to bring comfort to kids who feel like they've been abandoned or they feel alone. But I also wanted a kid who maybe has broken up a friendship for whatever reason, maybe because they felt like it was the right thing to do, to, to, to kind of see the other side of it as well, I sort of wanted to showcase both sides of it. Um, and then within this story about friendship, um, I was telling the kids in the writing camps that I asked them all and I said, when you have a friend drama going on, is that the only thing in your life that's stressful? And they all said no, right? Because you could be having a friend drama going on, but you could also be be failing math at the same time. Or your parents could be getting divorced, right? Or your mom could have a new boyfriend for the first time. And so I wanted to include those things to show how they can affect drama in a friendship. So um, Maisie, the whole book, we're not sure why Maisie's at camp. We just know that for the first time ever, she's been forced to go to camp. We know that she's angry at her mom and she blames her mom for being there. Um, And Maisie sees a camp therapist throughout the, um, the book. And eventually, when she's finally ready to open up to the reader, we find out that Maisie is at camp because her mom is struggling with a prescription pill addiction and her mom is getting treatment for it. Um, And so that's what Maisie is dealing with. So while her mom is getting treatment, Maisie is struggling with not being able to forgive her mom for the things that her mom did when she was struggling with her addiction. Um, She's struggling with the shame and and keeping a secret. And so that's um, that's the issue that Maisie's dealing with. B is dealing with her father who is about to get remarried, so she's going to have a blended family, and her mother is going to be dating for the first time. So I incorporated in both books these other issues because I think it's important. I feel like most kids' books are about one thing, one problem but I feel like most kids are struggling with more than one problem at the same time. And I thought it was important to address how those outside things could affect
1: everything else. I love that. It's like a therapy session in a book. (laughs) It's just so cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also thought it tied
0: into B. So with B in the first book, B seems really sure of herself at camp because she's very accepted there. Um, in the second book, Bee really struggles with her identity. Um, she really wants to fit in with the m and And in order to do that, she changes everything about herself. She has a make- makeover where maybe straightens her hair. She starts to wear makeup. She dresses differently. Um, she changes her behavior and does things she never normally would do because she is operating under the belief that in order to be loved and accepted, she has to change who she is. And I coupled that, you know, that portrayal by showing that she is struggling to fit in with her new blended family. And she feels like she's not pretty enough to fit in with with her new stepsisters and she's not good enough or cool enough or any of those things. And so I wanted to sort of mirror and show that this girl feels like she's never good enough or pretty enough or the right thing. And so she changes herself to try to fit into her blended family, just like she changes herself to fit in with this new friend group. And she has to learn the lesson at the same time for both of those situations that she really needs to just be herself. Um, So anyway, that's what those two books are about. Lots um, Lots of layers to them. Um, So not just the friendship. Once you start, um, it's almost like an onion. You sort of unpeel layer after layer um, because I was really hopeful that my readers would connect to any one of those
1: points. I'm almost drawn right back into middle school thinking about all that. That's great. I love that do you draw on your own experiences or maybe something your daughter went through or your teaching experiences? Like, what are the ideas from the book coming from? Oh, I love that. That's such a good question. Um, okay, for Maisie's mother
0: with the prescription pill addiction, um, one of my family members, uh, who I loved very much, um, struggled with what started out as a prescription pill addiction and later became became a street drug addiction. Um, and it all started with, doctor prescribed medication. That happened before there was aware, with my family, before there was an awareness that we have today with the opioid crisis. Um, And so my own experience of loving someone and then watching them go through that um, gave me things to draw on when I wrote about Maisie's experience. Um, One thing I kept in mind was that it can be very scary to watch someone you love struggle with a drug addiction and i kept in mind that this book is for kids in grades nine through i mean in kids that are age nine through 12. and so i really really reflected on adding the right amount of details without scaring kids and trying to keep that age appropriate while also tackling the issue that was very important to me Um, and when I had my book club discussion with one of my groups, this girl started it off by saying, thank you for writing the part about Maisie's mom. My teenage brother, who is 18, went through the same thing that Maisie's mom did. So Maisie's mom in the book got injured. So Maisie's mom was like a perfect PTA mom, like head drama mama when Maisie did plays, um, gymnastics team mom for her sister's team. And then she got injured and was prescribed pain medication. And because she had some anxiety she was struggling with, um, she really gravitated towards that pain medication and became addicted. And so this girl in the group said her brother went through the same thing. And she loved the scenes where Maisie expressed her emotions, her anger, her fear of not forgiving, all of those things, her avoidance, not wanting to talk to her mom. She said she experienced all of those things with her brother. And when she told me that, I felt like it validated my choice to include that in the story. It it really did because I thought, oh my goodness, this girl, it, it helped her to read about it. And she felt connected to it. And then the other kids who didn't have that experience were able to talk to her about her experience because they read about it. So um so anyway that was one thing the other part um so we have Maisie who's this anxious girl who's not sporty she's scared of everything sporty and she ends up at adventure camp I have to say I am like Maisie I am <laughs> just like that and so I had a lot of fun with that so my husband and daughter are both very athletic Um, and very adventurous. They love to try everything. I I love to run and exercise, but I'm not coordinated. I was never good at like team sports. (laughs) And I I don't like to try new things. They love to surf and rope climb and bungee jump. You name it, they like to do it. And um, I'm always this person surrounded by these sporty, athletic adventurous people who's the one who's scared to try everything and so it was really fun for me to pretend if I had ended up at this camp where there's a ropes course that you have to do um, and you have to swim in the lake and I was always scared to swim like in water where there's fish and creatures and all of that so anyway I had a lot of fun pretending if I ended up at a camp like this, what were the things I would struggle with? Um, So yeah, and then as far as the friendship stuff, um, my own daughter, uh, when she was in eighth grade, was dropped by her friend group. And as a mom, this was the hardest season I had to walk through with her because there was nothing I could do to fix it. Um, there's nothing I could do to make it better or make her feel better while she was navigating this experience, because when a friend group drops you or a friend drops you, it's not like this instantaneous thing, usually. It sort of ebbs and flows and and takes like happens over a period of time. Um, and so when I was writing from B's perspective, I was able to think back to what my daughter went through. And it gave me insight into the deeper level of emotions that happen when a friendship breaks up and the grieving that the person who's been dropped or uh, you know left behind feels. So yeah, so lots of um, real life experiences I drew on for this. The only thing I didn't have real life experience It was divorce and the blended family part of it but i know enough people who have gone through that that i was able to talk to other people and make sure it was authentic
1: yeah and such a common experience so it's important to that seems like a really important aspect to have in there since so many kids are going through something similar definitely so um yeah and i wanted
0: to make sure i got that right since um, i didn't grow up in a divorced family so i wanted to really make sure I honored that in a way that was real. So for that, I crowdsourced.
1: So I'm just curious what, like, what kind of before COVID and before all this happened, you were working on writing the book, I'd assume. And I kind of want to hear about what's the process like, like how many months or even years, I don't know, were you working on the books and what, what did your week structure look like with every other commitment you have and everything? How did you fit in writing and What did the process look like?
0: Oh, I love that question because um, the hardest part about writing a book is setting aside time and it's tricky because it's a creative endeavor. So you might have three hours in the afternoon where you have time to write, but you're not really feeling creative because you've already been running around doing 500 other things before. So for anyone listening who wants to be a writer, one of the things you have to really think about is when are you creative And how can you clear your schedule of things that take away from that creativity? Um, so one of my favorite things that I haven't been able to do is my, so I have a friend named Lee Geller, who is a women's fiction author. She wrote a great book called trophy life. Um, that's available on Amazon and she and I meet every Wednesday and it is my favorite part of the week. So we will meet at a coffee shop and we will write together. And take little breaks and chat, but we will write, 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 write. Then we will get hungry and we'll move over to the um, Japanese restaurant next door and we'll get sushi and we'll write some more until we can tell like they need the table. And then we go back to the coffee shop and write some more. And the reason that those Wednesdays really helped is that Lee and I both, so Lee has five kids and teaches part-time like I do. I teach part-time and have one kid. Between the two of us, having someone else hold you accountable and having that one day a week that you set aside that you do not schedule anything else for is amazing. So that is a big part of my writing life. Right now, we've been FaceTiming on Wednesdays until <laughs> so we can see each other in person again. Uh, not the whole time, but we'll FaceTime to check in. Um, so that's, that's one piece of it. Um, and then I teach too. So what I have to do is I look at my week and I have time chunks that um, I'm reading student work and preparing lesson plans or teaching. Um, and then the rest of the day is all I do is write. Um, and I like to write in the morning. There are some people who you hear about who are like up all night pulling all nighters writing. That's amazing if you're an, a late night thinker. I am an early morning start to write before I talk to anyone, one kind of person. So um, so I am very much a proponent of setting aside days that are for writing and days that are for teaching or other things. So that's one piece of advice. Um, I am a goal setter. So I was a distance runner um, up until about a year ago when my doctor kind of told me that I was getting too old because my knees were hurting. <laughs> Maybe I should oh, no. have doing spin bike instead, which I'm doing now. Um, And so I was very used to setting a goal for a time and a half marathon and using a chunk of time to work towards that. And I do the same thing with my writing. I would set either word count goals for the week or chunks of writing goals. Like I'm going to finish act one or I'm going to finish act two by a certain time. And I would hold myself accountable. I got a journal. And I would write every single day what my word count was when I started to write, what it was when I finished or how much, you know, how much I, I was revising that day or what I worked on. And that way, let's say it's Thursday and I knew that my goal was to write 5,000 words that week and I only wrote 2,700. Then I could do the math and know how much I have to hustle to get to reach my goal and that, really, really helped me. So other writers who are out there, if you set goals and hold yourself accountable and write them down, I always tell my students, it's not enough to make a goal of writing more. You need to set a tangible goal of I'm going to write X amount of pages or X amount of words and set a date so that you can look back and know if you're effectively
1: reaching your goal or not, right? And were you on a deadline with, like, a publisher, or did they set goals for you, too? Okay, so for the first book,
0: I wasn't on a deadline for. Um, so typically, when you write a, your, your debut, so this is my debut middle-grade novel. Um, in most cases, you haven't sold it yet. And that's the hardest part about sticking to your writing goals, because nobody's bought it yet. And you could be writing this book, and you may or may not sell it. So the first book I wrote in a year and a half. I outlined it first. Um, There is a craft book that I love so much and I use it for teaching um, quite a bit. I refer back to it. It's called Save the Cat Writes a Novel by Jessica Brody. And what she does is she breaks down each note that you need to hit in in your plot. And so I used that book to outline the, this book, the first book in the series, Camp Click, it took me about a year and a half to write it, revise it, and get an agent. What, so, um, and that was um, amazing when I made the deal because she made a two book deal for me because it's a two book series. And so for the first time ever with the second book, I was on deadline. Um, and you know how I told you how I have these health, you know, this autoimmune stuff, okay right sold the book and i was in and out of the hospital one of my autoimmune issues are some esophageal and gi issues so i had to have this surgery done um last fall on my esophagus and my stomach and i had such a rough time after the surgery i was literally on a liquid diet for almost eight weeks post-surgery i couldn't eat food So (laughs) this goes back to me saying I could have either given in to how sick I was, but no, instead my friend Lee, my writing friend came over and she sat with me while I drank my smoothies and she kept me company and I wrote that second book and I kept to my deadline and it kept me going because it was a very scary time. I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to eat food again. I wasn't sure how the healing was going to go. And instead of, it was, it was very scary. So my husband does internal medicine for animals and um, he knows a lot more than I do about this stuff. And he was shaken up. And after 20 years of being married and him dealing with my health dramas, I've never seen him that scared. And so instead of focusing on that, I focused on this deadline and I finished that second book school squad in nine months. So I cut my time in half and I turned it in and I only had maybe three little changes to make. So that's just to give people hope. Like I am not exaggerating when I say like when I have a health relapse, it is a dramatic one where I would have every reason to curl up in bed and just watch Netflix all day long. But instead I use those moments to dig into something else because now here I am and that book is coming out in October and I am so proud of it because of what I went through when I was writing it so um yeah so anyway I stick to schedules I set goals for myself I read craft books like um say the cat writes a novel and I have a writing friend who helps hold me accountable and all of those things together are what has helped me
1: so yeah sounds like you have a good support group keeping you on track and chasing after your goals definitely during that year and a half how many hours a week would you say you were putting into writing specifically that's
0: such a good question um i definitely had some weeks where i got less work done and other weeks where i did more um i can't remember the amount of hours but i look at my um i sort of look at it by chunks of time so when i teach for the semester i teach for about two and a half months at a time. And then I usually have okay. about six weeks off. So when I have six weeks off in between semesters, I write full time, whatever that means. How I, I don't go by the hours, I go by like the page count. Um, so for anyone else who's writing, sort of look at your life. If you, ha- if you know you have a month where, let's say you're a mom and one of your kids has a birth, a huge birthday, another one's graduating from something, you know you're not gonna get a lot of work done, let's say in June, then maybe front load and do as much as you can in May. The other piece of advice for that too is, look at your life, right? So for me, I teach for two and a half months, but I front load all of my lesson plans. I do all of my lesson planning before the semester starts. I have all of my lesson plans written up, organized, ready to go. So that during those two and a half months of teaching, when I'm spending a lot of time reading other student manuscripts and giving them really close feedback, I can spend all my energy on that and writing because my lesson plans are done. So whatever that means for anyone else writing or doing any kind of artistic endeavor, figure out how you can front load the other responsibilities in your life. So, that when you're creative, you have opened up a window of time. The other thing I do, which I can't do now, obviously, because of um, quarantining, is um, I plan a little writing retreat. Um, So, in January, I went up to the Berkshires and I stayed in a hotel in Great Barrington um, for three days. And I wrote, I think, 30,000 words while I was there. So, that helps me. I need a place where I know I can eat the food because as I said, I have a lot of stomach issues. It has to be somewhere that has food nearby that I know I can eat, Um, a bed to sleep in, somewhere comfy to write, and that's it. I need to just get away from the housework, the laundry, the work work, everything. And I check into a hotel for three days and I tend to do that every like four to six months. Um, And that helps me. I know that's not feasible for everybody um depending on what your family situation is. If it's a monetary thing, you could always and you, you don't have the um you know, you don't have the extra cash to spend on um, checking into a hotel and all of that. You could ask a friend if they have a second home that you could stay in and borrow for a weekend when nobody's there. So there's different ways to do it. Or it could just mean that you take a Sunday and you go to a coffee shop all day long and run away from everything. So there's different ways to do it. But for me, I like to go away for a couple of days every four to six months and do as much writing as I can and not talk to anybody because I like to sort of dive into the story and be in that imaginary world. And that really helps me.
1: Yeah, I've heard a lot of it seems like a lot of authors do that, just take a getaway and to even finishing up their book. I know you probably Mm -hmm. know Dina Castor, the runner, um, Mm -hmm. with her book, and she talked about taking a trip to a ski town and just writing for, I think it was a week or two at a time. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. My problem is
0: I can't seem to make it more than three days. I miss my husband and daughter every time I do this. I end up coming home early the last day because I miss oh, them really? so much. And so what I end up doing is, it's funny, I end up writing more. So like, so if I'm away for three days, the second day, I end up going above and beyond my goal because I know I'm going to miss them and want to be home like at a decent hour the next day. So I'm curious about her experience if she starts to get antsy and wanting to come home. So I haven't done a week yet because it's literally like three days and I'm like, I miss them so much. I need to get back. And and my husband and daughter are always so supportive. They're like, you need to go and write. It's okay. We're fine. But I miss them too much. So
1: (laughs) yeah. Well, a good problem to have. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: So before we wrap up, I do want to give you the opportunity to plug your upcoming workshop. I know you have one coming up soon that you're excited about, and I'd love for you to share with parents and anyone listening what they can get involved with.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Okay, so um, I'm going to give you my email address. Maybe if you can also put it in the show notes. Um, Yeah, I can do that. So any parent who is interested... Send me an email at Eileen, Emma and Mary, Palma at gmail.com. It will be, Emma will put it in the show notes. Um, send me an email because I am offering these writing camps from the first week in July through the, well, through the week of July 6th through the first week in August. They're once a week, one hour sessions. I'm offering them for kids in grades rising third through fifth graders and then sixth through eighth graders. I'm offering it through the Providence Children's Museum. So you could go on their website and see if there's any openings in, um, in that session. And I'm also doing it through six different public libraries in New York. But if you go on my website or you email me, I can either match you up with one of the programs at the public library or the museum, or I can put you in one of my private groups because I'm going to make some outflow groups for anyone who doesn't make it into one of those programs. So um, if you send me an email, I will make sure to accommodate your, your child, whether it's in a library group or a museum group. There is no cost whether you do it through me privately or through one of these places,
1: the only cost is the cost of the book, Camp click. Thanks for sharing all that. And yeah, to the listeners, I will have all that information in the show notes on our, and on our website as well. And one more thing before we do the end of the podcast questions, I want you to give advice to, what, like what is your number one advice to parent, parents that are stuck homeschooling and they're not used to it right now? Okay, my number one advice is to be a parent first and a teacher second.
0: So um, if you find that your role of a teacher, as a teacher is risking your relationship with your child, then you need to kind of pause and think about what's going on and um, what you can kind of put the brakes on and think about how you can shift gears and change that um i think one of the ways to help with that is to set aside time to be a teacher and set aside other time when you're a mom i think one of the problems with working from home and homeschooling is we don't have those psychological cues of getting on the school bus right and that starts your day and you come on the school bus home and that ends your day or you log in at work on your work computer and then you log off. We're missing all of those things and it's all blended and I think that's contributing to a lot of anxiety and stress. So set aside the times that you're gonna act as the homeschool teacher and then you need to clock out and forget about the schoolwork for the rest of the day and watch movies together or get outside in the backyard or play some board games and get in that mom role Um, And don't worry about the schoolwork. It'll be there waiting the next day. So that's my biggest advice. And one more thing too is a lot of moms I've talked to have been so stressed and they're so worried about their kids falling behind and not being ready for the fall. And so that's where the stress is coming from. They're worried that they're not doing a good enough job teaching their kids. Relax, the teachers have it covered. These teachers are so talented If your kid has fallen behind, first of all, I bet a bunch of other kids have too. Um, And the teachers are going to do such a great job supporting your kids and catching them up. That pressure is not on you. You just do the best that you can to teach them and do what you can and then clock out and you just be a good mom because that homeschooling is a temporary thing for you. Being their mom and having that relationship is gonna be forever and you do not wanna damage that connection you have with your child because that is the most important thing as a mom.
1: So that's it. They have a great opportunity to work with you and from this interview I've seen you'd be a great person to call upon for those writing workshops and a great opportunity for their kids as well.
0: Thank you so much, that really means a lot to me.
1: It really does. All right, are you ready for the final podcast questions? Yes. So who or what is illuminating in your life right now?
0: Okay, so I have a couple of podcasts and a couple of books that have illuminated me. So obviously under podcasts, this podcast is one of my favorites. Um, I can't even tell you you how honored I am when this podcast first came out um, and I listened I was like, oh, my goodness, that would be my dream podcast to be on one day. I never thought I'd (laughs) be here, but I truly was like all of um, the things that you guys focus on positivity and bringing joy to the world and inspiring others. All of that is just so it's so inspirational to me. So obviously, you guys, um, another great podcast is Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books with Zibby Owens Um, she Zibi Owens interviews authors and their little half hour episodes She asks wonderful questions and she has been such a guiding light in terms of getting the word out about authors right now during the pandemic. So she's great. Unlocking Us with Brene Brown. Love it. Um, And For the Love with Jen Hatmaker. So those are my podcasts um, that I find inspirational, positive. um, You know, they're filled with thought leaders who kind of help me to live a more positive life. Okay, with books. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. My daughter Molly and I were so lucky that we went to the one book event Glennon Doyle had in Manhattan before she had to really? cancel her tour. Can you even imagine? That's amazing. You got to you you were there with it? Yes, we were there. Wow. And it oh was Oh my goodness. Such an amazing experience. Abby Wombach was there with her and interviewed her there. Her sister was there in the audience. And um, oh my goodness, it, it, she is truly who she is on the page is who she is in person. Um, and it was such a powerful event. My daughter came out um, as bisexual when she was going into 10th grade. Um, and a lot of the messages, um, you know, and the support that Glennon does for the LGBTQ community is really important to us as a family. So the fact that we went there and we were in the audience was so special and we both read the books after, we, but we each got an autographed copy of her book and we both read it, amazing. So highly recommend that book. Fierce, Free and Full of Fire by Jen Hatmaker is another wonderful nonfiction book that's out right now. A book that I just started is called How to Be an Anti-Racist, by Ibram X. Kendi. Um, I also started listening to Brene Brown's um, interview with the author of that book this morning. So um, that book, I literally, my daughter and I were reading it out loud to each other um, and 20 pages in, and we felt like we learned multiple valuable lessons. So those are that's what's illuminating
1: me right now, those books and podcasts, I recommend all of them. Thank you for sharing. I'll have to dive in and look at some of those. They all sound great. Yeah, they're great. To close it out, what is your one message to send to the world?
0: Okay, this is one that I'm so glad that you asked that because this is so important to me, especially right now. Um, My message is that the most important part of being an ally is listening and learning. So as I said, my daughter Molly came out as bisexual, to my husband and me, when she was going into 10th grade. Obviously the very first thing we did was that we told her that we loved her and we supported her and we felt so lucky that she trusted us to talk to us. Um, The next thing I did is I really checked myself and I really thought about how she was living this experience that is totally different than anything I have ever walked through before. And I realized that if I wanted to be her ally, I needed to listen to her. I needed to be there for her and I needed to educate myself. So um, one thing I did is I made sure to spend more time with her. I already spent time with her, but I opened up my schedule even more because I felt like the more moments we were just there doing something fun or hanging out would be more moments where she might start to open up and talk to me about her experience, which she did um the other thing is i started to ask questions about things that i didn't know about and i listened to her answers i wasn't listening ready to say something i truly listened Um, and then i also opened myself up to resources for the lgbtq community so that i could learn from people who were members of the community because you can't be an ally of someone who has a different life experience than you without learning and listening. And so um, my daughter's going into college now, my husband and Molly and I are so close. And um, I really think that the one thing as a mom I'm most proud of is the strong ally that I have been for her and also the strong ally my husband has been. So I just, the reason I'm talking about that now is I think that that translates into what is going on in our world right now and that's why i'm reading how to be an anti-racist because i am checking my white privilege i'm acknowledging that i don't know enough and so i am listening i'm learning and i'm trying to educate myself because i don't think that i can be a strong ally unless i do those things um and so um and also i'm reaching out to my friends like I did with my daughter step one is letting people know that you love them and support them so I'm doing that but in addition um I'm trying to learn more I'm trying to listen more um and I'm trying to be aware of what I don't know um and so anyway that's just my advice to anyone who wants to be an ally and they don't know how That's a good starting place for everybody, no matter who you want to be an ally for, whatever the situation, there's never anything wrong with listening, asking questions and learning and accepting and understanding what you don't know and trying to learn more. So that's my advice.
1: All right, that's it for my conversation with Eileen Moskowitz-Palma. Thank you, Eileen, for coming on the podcast and sharing your incredibly inspiring story and all the joy that you have for your life. You can find her on her website at eileenmoskowitzpalma.com or on Instagram at Eileen palma You can find all the information about her workshops as well as her books and everything else that she does on her website. And I'll link to them in the show notes as well. You can follow The Illuminate Podcast on Instagram at The Illuminate Podcast, on Twitter at Illuminate underscore pod, and on Facebook at The Illuminate Podcast. I'm so thankful that you all were here to listen today. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please make sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thank you all for listening and have a great rest of your day.